So we're midway through this uh, Surrender Solution series. We've talked about vulnerability. We've talked about identity. We've talked about devotion. This week, we're going to talk about surrender itself. And as I was thinking about surrender and driving around the Austin area, I was thinking about four-way stops and how no one seems to know how to do them. You ever get, you get to the four-way stop? Like a roundabout's a totally different thing. All bets are off in a roundabout. Because like, no, I mean, you need a hover car just to like bypass the whole thing. But in a four-way stop, you, go, you, you pull up to the stop and then you get into that weird cha-cha dance with your cars, with the people on your right and your left. Like you go, no, no, you go, no, you, you, no, you, 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 and then eventually you both go at the same time and then you both stop. And then you get mad because they went, but you went. And it's, like, it's, it's all sorts of, sorts of messed up. So, so Texas traffic law states, if you approach a four-way stop, you must yield the right-of-way to any vehicle already in the intersection. If one or more vehicles approaches a four-way stop, yield to the driver on the right. So we yield to the driver on the right, which in my head I'm thinking, oh, right-of-way. I, I know that's not what that means, but it's what it means to me now. So I'll never get it wrong again. And I'll have reason to get mad if someone else doesn't know the rule, now that I know the rule. So I think the, the big problem with four-way stops is that it involves yielding. And yielding, which is something we're going to talk about today, involves interpretation. It involves awareness of other people. It involves a baseline knowledge of who is supposed to be leading and who is supposed to be following. Right? That's what yielding is all about. And yielding is uh, a form of surrender. Surrender is what we're talking about today. But yielding at a four-way stop is like, like surrender 101, right? So we're going to get into, uh, we're going to get in past the starter kit of surrender. And we're going to get into um, a couple of different types of surrender. And we're going to take a look at uh, Jesus's like final moment of surrender before his arrest. And, and, uh, and heading to the cross. So I want to talk here real quickly about two different types of surrender that we're going to mention today. The first is what I'm going to be calling today active surrender or willful surrender. And active surrender is when we make a conscious decision, when we choose to relinquish our control or our rights or our property. And we sometimes call it like our acts of consecration. We're going to give up these things to you, Lord. It's, it's a giving over of ourselves and our stuff for God to use. Now, this is a good thing. I'm not saying this isn't a good thing, but this is one type of surrender. The other type of surrender that we're going to talk about today, we're calling passive surrender. Passive surrender is when you relinquish control because you've realized that you have no other option. You relinquish control because you've been overcome, because you've tried your very best. You've done everything you know how to do, and you realize it's not good enough. It's not going to win. I got no other choice. I give up. That's a very different place to come from in surrender than active surrender. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit. Um, for the disciple of Jesus, both of these forms of surrender are necessary. And both are challenging, but both also produce wonderful results. And we're going to look at uh, the book of Matthew. Jesus is here in the garden, and he's, he's going through it. This is his most difficult moment to this point. 
he's in anguish. He's spiritually taxed. He's mentally, he's emotionally taxed. And we're going to take a look at this passage and then take a look at what, what we can learn from this about surrender. So Matthew 26, verses 36 through 44. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to the disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, then may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and he prayed for the third time, saying the same thing. Okay, we're gonna get into how Jesus is exemplifying the two types of surrender that I mentioned just a little bit earlier, uh, but there's a couple of important things that we can take away specifically from this passage, right? About the process and the principles of surrender. So we know surrendering means letting go of your way letting go of what you want to do, letting go of what you think is right, and sort of putting yourself into an uncomfortable place. Surrender is really like for, for us, for our context, surrender is the guaranteed way to take us out of a place of comfort. Because we have set up for ourselves in our lives all of our preferences, right? All of our, it's like the settings on your computer, and then if somebody goes and changes them, it messes you up because you knew where everything was, and now you have no clue. Or somebody goes in, you let somebody borrow your car, and then all the radio stations are changed, and the seat is weird, and the, dry, and the steering wheel is lower. It messes you up, because we set up for ourselves, we like to nest, and we set up for ourselves our preferences, our situations that are comfortable, our things, our circumstances that we can control, the things that we can predict. And when we surrender, what we're saying is, I don't, I don't want any of those. I want what you want. Lord. And I know that that means I'm going to be uncomfortable. So what, what Jesus is, one of the things Jesus is teaching us here is that in our surrender to God, number one, we have to give up our plans. We have to give up our plans. The Bible says man makes his plans, but the Lord devises his steps, which to me means the steps God wants us to take are more important than the plans we made right? Man makes his plans, but the Lord devises his steps. So I can come up with the very best plan, the thing that I really want to see done. I can have all of everything. I don't because I'm not organized, but I could have everything laid out ahead of time and like, this is going to be perfectly done. But if God says, you know what? I need you to go over here. That takes precedence over every plan that I had made, no matter how good it was going to be, Right? Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 9, 23, he says, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, 
you must give up your own way and take up your cross daily and follow me. One of the first things I learned from this passage is that if you're going to be a disciple, you've got to want it. You've got to want it. Nobody, nobody can force you to be a disciple, right? It's got to be, it's an act of your own volition. You give yourself over to the Lord. You've got to want it. And in doing so, you know these three things he's telling us, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross daily, and you're going to have to do what he does, and you're going to have to do what he says. We have to give up our plans when we follow Jesus, no matter how good those plans are. 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, and this is how Jesus lived. So we have to give up our plans. Second thing we have to give up, we have to give up our control. Again, we have our preferences in our car. We have our preferences on our phone. We have our preferences in, in, in our, our lives, in our friend group, in our house. We set it up exactly the way we want. We like to surround ourselves with the stuff that makes us comfortable because we can control. We can predict. We can, uh, we can feel at ease there because nothing's kind of a moving part. But Jesus took on the nature of a servant. And when you are a servant, you don't get to say what you're doing that day. When you're a servant, you do what's asked of you. Jesus was a servant. If we are going to live in him, we have to live as Jesus did. And when I think about what we have to do to be a servant versus what Jesus had to do, his road is harder. His road is, I mean, that's, that's no great revelation, I hope, that Jesus' road was harder than our road. But think about who Jesus is. Yes, he's fully human. So he's fully God. This is a Trinitarian thing. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is God. Jesus is God. Three in one. So Jesus, he's limitless in his abilities, limitless in his knowledge. He can do all things, but he's also entirely human. And so there's the potential for pride, for frustration for sorrow, for anger, for disappointment, for fear, right? Imagine that. Imagine that you are limitless in your ability, limitless in your knowledge. You can do all things, and you have to give up your own way. Or limitless in all things, and you have the devil coming to tempt you to get into pride about how limitless you are in all things, right? And we see the devil do that, right? The devil took him into the, after he was baptized, the devil took him into the wilderness to try and tempt his humanity to betray his divinity. He was trying to tempt him to say, you know what? I can do everything. What the heck? What am I following for? I need to be leading. The devil put that in front of him and Jesus said, no, not my will, but the will of the Father. That's what I came to do. He needed to surrender completely in order to accomplish what his father had set out for him to do. John 8, 28 and 29 says this. Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but I speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus was surrendering not only his words, but his actions to the father, right? He says, I don't do anything on my own. Think of the surrender the level of surrender that that entails, right? Paul uh, is writing the Philippians and he, he describes Jesus' posture of heart like this. 
Philippians 2, 5 through 10. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Jesus, who being in, the very, in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we have to give up our plans. We have to give up our control, as Jesus did. The third thing we have to give up in our surrender is we have to give up more than once. Surrender is not a one and done thing. Surrender, Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. And I know I've had this in my life, you've had this in your life where we've given something up to God. You know, we've, we've laid ourselves down like, that felt really good to get that off my chest. And a couple months later, wait, I gotta do that again? I, j- I just laid that down months ago and it's creeping back up. We have to give ourselves over to him more than once. We have to do it repeatedly. In Matthew 26, 42, which is what we're, the scripture we are just reading when he was in uh, the garden, Jesus prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, then may your will be done. When he prayed that, that was his second time to pray that prayer. And then verse 44, he says, he left them and he went away once more and he prayed the third time saying the same thing. I mean, he's living it out and showing us surrender is not something that we do once and it's all done because our life continues to move forward. I'm living this life where new things are happening to me. So as I'm hit with new things, I have to surrender in new ways. Jesus is living out these principles. And it's because of this that he can throw down a challenge like he does for us in the Gospel of Luke. He says in Luke 9, 24, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. And the two key words in there that really give us a lot of clarity, Jesus says, whoever loses their life for me, for me, that's the key right there. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. So we're going to come back to these thoughts about these two types of surrender. I was talking about active and passive surrender. Active surrender is an act of our will. It's when we willfully choose to relinquish control. We have stuff, we have ideas, we have plans, and we've weighed our options and we've decided, you know what? I need to give that up to God. And that's a beautiful thing. That's wonderful, and that's something that we should continually be doing. We make a decision to give over our stuff or ourselves for God to use. It also empowers us. It helps us to feel, we feel better about ourselves. We feel, because God has asked us to sacrifice some things, and when we do that, when we follow, it feels good. We feel like we're doing the right thing for God. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's a beautiful thing. But we have to remember that our choosing to give up our stuff is still about us. It's our choice. It's our decision. It's us who gets to call that shot. It's us who gets to decide that course. And if we're not really careful, and if our hearts aren't in that same place, then that can be twisted into, God, do you see what I'm giving up for you? You know, look at what I gave up for you. Look at how good I am. I had all this stuff. And I chose to give it to you. It's pretty cool, right, God? Right? 
And I hope, I hope none of you are that way. I've done that. I hope nobody else has done that. I hope it's just me confessing, but I've done that before. You know, God, I'm going to choose to give that up for you. I bet you're really pleased with that. Yeah. I bet you're looking at me right now. I'm just thinking that Darren, that's my guy right there. That's my guy. Look at him giving up the stuff out of the abundance that he's got. He's giving up that little thing. That, that's great. Or he's saying it sarcastically. Yeah, that's great, Darren. Way to go. Nice work. Paul said this to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he said, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And if we are not careful in our active surrender, our choice to give things over to God, then we can be fooled. We can be tempted into thinking that, oh, I gave this over. Look how good I am. Look how that moved God's hand, right? Look at me kind of calling the shots so that God does something. How awesome am I, right? It seems silly when I'm saying it out loud, but a lot of us have lived out that moment, right? A lot of us have been in that place where we have to come back and say, oh, I was way out of line there. I did not realize that pride had gotten me, that pride had crept into my heart and I was puffing myself up over the acts of consecration to you. Look at all the stuff I gave up to you. A part of our surrendered life has to be active. A part of our surrendering has to be the choice to give things up. But we have to check our motivation. We have to check our motivation. We don't want to surrender stuff in an attempt to impress him or to impress other people. We don't want to surrender things in order to try to move his hand or to gain his favor or move his heart. His heart is already moved. Let me just cut to the chase. God's heart is already moved towards you. God's hand is already open to you. His arms are wide open to you. There is nothing that you can do that is going to move him for you more than he already is. We sing, I surrender all. I mean, Jesus surrendered all. Jesus surrendered all. The all that I can surrender is still just a drop in the bucket compared to what Jesus surrendered for me already, right? It was him that moved first. We don't move God's hand. We don't, we don't, we don't make him do something he wasn't already planning on doing, right? We don't do anything that impresses him enough that he's like, you know what? I think I love you more now. No, he loves us as much as we can possibly be loved already. And he's given us grace. It's a free gift given to us even though we don't deserve it. And he's given us faith, which is a gift that allows us to see the substance of things that haven't come to pass yet, right? Allows us to see the evidence of things that our eyes can't see yet, but in, our, in faith, we know that it's out there. Those are gifts from God. And both grace and faith, they operate on the core principle that we can't do things on our own. We can't do things on our own. And once we get into that perspective and that realization, then we enter into that other type of surrender that I've been talking about a little bit, is that passive surrender, which we might also call yielding. Right? When, uh, if you, like, 
Lord of the Rings or medieval like war stuff. You know, you'll see there's a battle and you'll see one person who's beaten the other person. Like, do you yield? Which I, it sounds cooler when you say it in a deeper voice, right? Do you yield? And uh, what it's saying is, do you realize that you are beaten? Do you realize that it's time now to give up because you have no other option? Do you realize that your next step is death unless you just surrender? That's what that means. And that's what we're talking about here with passive surrender. Passive surrender, yielding, is not about what we can do. In our acts of consecration, in active surrender, we have a choice. Like, God, I've got this stuff. I've got that stuff. I've got this stuff. I'm going to choose to give that up for you. In passive surrender, it's about recognizing all the things that we're powerless to do, all the things that we can't do. We come to this place this place of giving up, this place of realizing that we have, actually have no other way when we come to terms with what Jesus has done for us on the cross, when we come to terms with what God has given us in Jesus. Our hearts receive the revelation of who Jesus is from the Holy Spirit. In Matthew uh, 16, 15 through 17, that's where Jesus asked the disciples, he said, well, who do people say that I am? Oh, they say you're this, they say you're that, they say you're that. And he said, well, who, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says to him, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Jesus says to him, that's amazing. That was one of those moments where Jesus said, look, that's my guy. You know, that was that moment for Peter. I mean, he messes it up in the next chapter, but it's fine. <laughs> so, oh, Pete. Um, but he, say, he, say, he says to Peter, that's exactly you recognize that I'm Jesus. You recognize I'm the Son of God. You recognize I'm the Savior of the world. You recognize that I am your way to the Father. You didn't recognize that because somebody told you. You didn't recognize that because of flesh and blood. Things happening in the natural world. It's only the Holy Spirit that can really drive that point home for you. You only recognize it when the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. You only recognize it to the depth that changes your heart when the Holy Spirit is moving on it. And when we, when we have the Holy Spirit revealing this to us, we understand that apart from Him, literally, we are dead. Apart from Him, we literally have nothing. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. When you were dead in your wrongdoings and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him. Having forgiven us of all of our wrongdoings. Having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken all of that out of the way and nailed it to a cross. All of the accusations, all of the things that not only I have done wrong, but that generations before me did, where we missed the boat, where we, we turned our backs against, uh, on God, where, where we, we turned our backs against one another and we, we walked out lives not following him. All of that mounted up against us and we were dead in those wrongdoings. We were dead in that. And Jesus came and canceled all of that out and nailed all of that transgression, all of that, all of that debt, all, all of that punishment, nailed it to a cross and said, you don't have to pay that anymore. That's not on you. I put it on me. That's not on you. I took it for you. 
I gladly take it for just one of you. And it's that revelation, the revelation that Peter had, that we can't make it on our own, that we can't earn or fake our way into a victory, that even, and we've got some very talented, wonderful, anointed people in this room, but even on our very best day, with our very best efforts, we're going to fall short. You have the perfect day and you get everything exactly right. You're still going to fall short. When we realize that, how absolutely powerless we are, that's when the Holy Spirit draws us into some these moments of deep surrender. I'm not saying that we need to stop that active surrender, right? I'm not saying, well, stop, you know, when you have a choice and you choose to give something to God, that doesn't count. That's not what I'm saying. We need that. We need, we need to hone our wills to consistently choose to give things over to God. In a lot of those situations, that's where we're overcoming the tempter. We're overcoming the, what the enemy was trying to get Jesus to do. Jesus had a choice, and he chose consciously to do away with that temptation and do what God was asking. So these moments of active surrender are vitally important to our spiritual growth. Asking these hard questions, right? What is it in my life that I value more than I value my relationship with him right now? What am I holding on to that's distracting me? What am I holding on to that's hindering me from becoming who he's called me to be? What has God blessed and gifted me with that I started viewing as my own and not his? Those are hard questions that drive our acts of surrender. Those are tough questions that we have to make a choice and say, no, we're going to give that up. And that's a beautiful thing. But this is the hard part of this. Without the revelation of Jesus' saving and redemptive power, Without, all, without that revelation of without him we're nothing then our acts of surrender start to look a little bit more like dropping off a load of stuff at Goodwill right I have an abundance of stuff and I figure I guess maybe I should get rid of somebody I should give it to, that'd be a nice thing to give it up to somebody who, who needs it more than I do and again that's a nice thing that's a nice thing when we hand select some stuff that we're willing to give up, that we're willing to donate. We need both. We need both. We need to hone our wills to choose to surrender things to God on a daily basis. He's given us an abundance, and we need to be wise stewards of that. We need to be willing to give things up when he says give them up. We need to make that choice. But we need also to make, and this, Jesus said, Pick up your cross daily and follow me. This is that. We need to be, we need to make a daily return to this act of yielding to Jesus in passive surrender. A daily return to remembering that we owed an unpayable debt that he paid for us. The gratitude that comes from knowing that even on my very best day, I am absolutely lost if he doesn't show up. I need to be reminded not only that he's overcome the world, 
but I also need to be reminded that I need to allow him to come and overcome the things in my life and overcome me with his spirit. We need that. We need that daily. It's that revelation and it's that posture of heart that infuse every other action in our lives with his power. It's that baseline realization, that thing that Peter got, the thing that Jesus said, hey, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. That's my Holy Spirit working in you. You realize who I am. That's what we're doing in worship, by the way. In case I didn't make that clear earlier, that's what we're doing when we worship him. Because for some of us, we don't like to sing. I get that. It's a sacrifice for you. There's your act of surrender right there. Uh, some, some of us, like, we get distracted, you know? We don't, we're, we're not saying, hey, I'm not feeling that song. Whether you're feeling it or not is not the point. The point is, it's our act of surrender to come before God together and to say, I know who you are. I know who you are, and I invite you to be Lord. I invite you to overcome this place, this place with your spirit. So this kind of surrender is often accompanied by admitting some things, right? I can't do this on my own. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. Right? That's a very real concern we face when we've got so many things that we have to do, so many hard choices to make. I don't know what to do is one of the very best admissions that we can make to God. And we have to give ourselves over to God with prayers like, speak to me and I'm going to do what you say. Have your way in my life. Let your will be done in me. Jesus, who was everything, made himself nothing took it all for us. And his, his last real prayer of surrender was that. He said, not my will, but your will be done. And so the question for us this morning is, can we return to that revelation of his saving grace? Can we return to that place in our hearts, with that, that revelation that Peter had where, God, I see you. I see who you are. I see what you've done for me. I really, I get it. Can we return to that place? And can we offer up these same prayers to Jesus? Not my will, but your will be done. 